TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH and also 96.5 TIC. Our guest this week on Face Connecticut is Julie Savin. She's the president of the Eastern Connecticut Housing Opportunities nonprofit group. One focus on our conversation this week is going to be on affordable housing in the eastern half of our state. Julie, good morning, and thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Could you define what your region is to start off the conversation? Are we talking about eastern Connecticut, like east of the Connecticut River, or is it more based on county? It's east of the Connecticut River. Okay, and you're based in New London. We are. And how long has this organization and group been in existence and together? ECHO was founded in 1989 um, by a group of citizens who realized that uh, there wasn't enough uh, housing that's affordable to many of the people who live in eastern Connecticut um, and has been doing housing initiatives in many different ways since then. So since 1989, obviously, this is an issue that has been continuing since then. Have you seen improvements in some areas, um, lack of improvement in others, or maybe the problem in general has gotten worse over the last 33, 34 years? So it's always been a problem. It just hasn't been very sexy to talk about up until post-pandemic for some reason. Um, So it's getting a lot of attention Um, we have been struggling to keep up and house people um, for a very long time. And it's, it's like, I mean, let's just be honest. We've got a very racially segregated state based um, on old laws and, and regulations that were created largely by white people to to um, to keep their communities the way that they feel is necessary. So by redlining, by local zoning regulations, in which is essentially legal redlining and legal segregation, we're keeping the ability to create more housing in areas that have room for more housing um, and eliminating the the uh, opportunity for mobility, um, for um, healthier homes, for more sta- stabilization with our, our children, 
um, we keep perpetuating the cycle of poverty by by not investing in our children and in our housing in Connecticut and in particularly in eastern Connecticut where we work and we see this every day. And do you hear directly from residents in eastern Connecticut who are saying these kinds of things that they are unable to get rent, that they're unable to get housing? And if so, what are they saying to you? Well, it's it's devastating. You know, I can only tell you by example. Just recently, I received an email through our website from someone who's homeless. And I have been told repeatedly by the government, have everyone call 211, and then 211 will connect them to the resources they need. So I did exactly that. I said to this individual, please call 211. I am told they have the resources for you. I don't have Echo itself does not have a place to put someone who is homeless. Um, We have rental opportunities, right? So I say this to her, and she gets back to me and said, I just wanted to let you know that I have been told that time and time again, and 211 can't help me. And in fact, I called the Department of Housing, and they were going to try to fix it. So I reached out to someone at the New London Home of Hospitality Center, And he fortunately gave me his contact information. I reached back out to her. I gave her that information, and she said, thank you so much. It's just nice to know I'm being heard. And she's living in her car, and she has nowhere to go. And that's just one example of phone calls I get every single day. Are you finding that these issues are happening in pockets of eastern Connecticut, certain areas or certain towns? No, it's happening everywhere. It's just some towns keep it quiet. Um, we have tent, little tent cities um, in the woods throughout eastern Connecticut. And it's shameful, and towns know it, but they don't want to advertise it. So it's being handled very quietly. Do you find any comparisons to any of this in western Connecticut? Well, I don't do a lot of work in Western Connecticut. I have colleagues who work there, and we share the same stories. It's, it's really no different. Um, you know, in Connecticut, let's just talk, how does one get into an apartment, right? So in Connecticut, someone has to earn $28 an hour in order, in order to afford a very modest two-bedroom apartment. So for some of us, 28 bucks an hour, okay, I, I can handle that. Well, guess what? The minimum wage is $14 an hour. So someone who has to pay for a, a two-bedroom apartment has to work 80 hours a week to afford a rental unit in the state of Connecticut. And that's on the good side. We're seeing rents go so high, a one-bedroom, 1800 2000 2200 for a one-bedroom apartment. We've got, we've got people coming from out of state buying multifamily properties, putting lipstick on a pig, and renting these out to folks who don't believe they deserve anything better. And they struggle to pay the $1,800 to live there. A family of four in a one-bedroom apartment. Um, it's, it's outrageous. We give out-of-state investors all the opportunity in the world to come to Connecticut do lousy investments, don't 
partner with the community, don't get involved in the community, and rent to folks who can't afford it. And you know what happens? Then they start having to choose between rent and medication, rent and activities for their children, rent and proper food. A, a two-liter two bottle of Coca-Cola is 99 cents. A half a gallon of milk is 5 $6. They're choosing the Coca-Cola. So when people have to make those kinds of decisions, they're on the brink of being homeless. And as soon as that car breaks down, they now can't pay the rent. They've got to get the car going. And then they're behind. And it's impossible to get caught up. We see it with our own uh, residents, and our rents aren't that high. So I can only imagine what they're going through to try to find housing that's appropriate for their families. And healthy housing. When a house is unhealthy, volatile organic compounds are leaching from old cabinetry, um, disturbed asbestos, uh, chipping lead-based paint. Children are ill. Children go to the emergency room because that's where parents have to get urgent care. So it's a burden on our health system. The family is missing work. The child is missing too much school. The child is now behind in school, and the parent gets fired because they're missing too much work. And then they have to move again. And it's instability for the family, instability for the children. Um, and that's why when I, when I said to, to Senator Murphy, please listen to my neighbor who just asked you to consider working with education and housing. I said, it's not just that, it's also health. Those three entities are, are operating in silos when in fact they're so intimately tied that when they work together, and there are examples all over the country of people who are having success in doing that, and one day maybe you'll have an opportunity or your listeners will have an opportunity to look up United Health. The United Health Group I learned several years ago, is investing up to $800 million in housing. A health insurance group investing in housing. Because they see by going where a lot of their constituents are using their insurance but not having healthy lives because they don't have healthy homes, by increasing their, their health in their home, the amount of claims go down. Their, the amount of employment goes up. Stability presents itself, but you have to have communities that are willing to look at their zoning laws and invite more development in that doesn't look like McMansions on a minimum lot size of five acres, and that's what we see in Connecticut. Let's keep those people out. I sat in a zoning meeting, I would say about 10 years ago, on record in a small town in southeastern Connecticut, on record, a zoning official said, what are we going to do, build this and have a whole bunch of single moms move into town? That's not even a racial comment. I mean, maybe underlying it is. But as a single mom, I sat there thinking, wow, this is so bad. And it continues to perpetuate. I'm speaking this morning on Face Connecticut with Julie Savin of the Eastern Connecticut Housing Opportunities Nonprofit Group. She's president of ECHO. 
And you mentioned just a minute or two ago that you had a meeting with Senator Chris Murphy, and I know that he was going around eastern Connecticut on April 12th talking about housing and job opportunities in eastern Connecticut. Then later in the day at Eastern Connecticut State University in Willimantic, held a town hall meeting where numerous people were able to be part of that event. You were one of them. What was the point overall, fill everybody in, what was the point overall of that meeting with the senator? Well, I think that's a question for him, um, quite frankly. Um, I I drove there an hour to get there because it was the only town meeting, town hall meeting, if you will, he was going to have in eastern Connecticut for this kind of a forum. So all the way up in Willimantic, out of reach for a lot of people in southeastern Connecticut. But I went because I needed him to know that Eastern Connecticut Housing Opportunities is here, and we are going to demand and put him and and other lawmakers and stakeholders, um, hold them accountable for ignoring this problem for so long, and now here we are, and and to, to hear, you know, I was, I was really happy to hear him say that, listen, I'm not an expert. And I complimented him on that. Thank you for admitting that. But you are in a room right now with a ton of housing experts. So I wanted him to listen to what these people were saying. And when this woman said, could you please talk about education and housing tied together? And he said, no, no, because housing is the basis for, you know, um, Stability. Well, yes, in a way it is, but how we solve it can't be funding housing in that silo over and over and over again. That's what we've been seeing. But there are so many issues that are tied to that housing that we have to work with other partners to address the, the, the needs. I mean, wasn't it a shame that free school lunches got voted down last Tuesday in Connecticut? Just feeding the children alone would have been such a huge triumph. Acknowledging that our children are hungry, our children aren't being fed well, um, and, and education, the schools. We don't want to put more burden on the schools. We want to give them the resources and the partnerships. But that's where the kids go every day. It's, it's sort of ground zero for seeing what do they need. So we could only do so much with the brick and mortar. So, yeah, I can get millions of dollars and I can go out and I can build the buildings. But we need to also help them. It's been years and years, decades, centuries of oppression, segregation, um, and disinvestment, quite frankly. So I wanted him to hear from us. And I was listening how... He, he gave an example of something from Biden's plan to gap about $20,000 so someone can do a rehab. We're talking about the unhoused. We're talking about the housing insecure. We're not talking about someone who owns a house and needs a $20,000 gift to, to rehab their house. I mean, the, that, that, that's going to end up being a lot of money that's not going to effectuate change at all. Not at all. It's not going to help one person that calls me every day who who needs proper housing. So I just feel like who are we talking to to come to some of these resolutions, these quote-unquote solutions? They're not talking to me. They didn't call me. 
They're not calling my colleagues. So I just want to have more conversation with him about what is the real solution and how can we really make some change. And I don't, quite, I don't know if he heard me. So maybe there'll be an opportunity for more discussion. Julie, how are you going to try to get in touch with him further? Well, I have his staff contact information. Um, and so, you know, letting sort of the dust settle a little bit, um, maybe re-engaging with staff to have more conversation about the reality of what's going on. I mean, he's working on the federal level, so I have to remember that, right? We all do. You know, really, I really want to see redlining by local zoning regulation eliminated. And we have to have more conversation about that. And that's a state thing, but it could be appealed to a federal level. States, towns, quite frankly, towns themselves do not want interference by state government and federal government. And the reason is, is because they want to continue this form of racism. We can't let it happen anymore. It has to be a top-down thing. And so I really want to talk about doing that. We can continue the investment in more housing stock. We have to bridge this gap between rent and income and advance housing quality and safety. And we do that with our partners in, in housing and in education and health. But we have got to, we have got to stop intentional redlining and racism with these local zoning laws. It has to stop. So, Julie, if you were to look at the next year and goals that you'd like to set for the very immediate future, how would you address this issue? Would you continue to push with Senator Murphy? Would you focus with state representatives and state senators or local towns? Um, just trying to figure out how you're going to keep the conversation going. So I work with another fantastic outfit called the Southeastern Connecticut Housing Alliance. This is a housing advocacy group, and I should know off the top of my head how long they've been in, in, um, in eastern Connecticut. Um, but I have been involved with them on and off for at least a dozen years. And all we do is talk about housing in southeastern Connecticut and how housing is out of reach for so many people. And they very quietly went from town to town zoning board got on the agenda to talk to them about the importance of housing is affordable for everyone, okay? It's not low-income housing. It's not affordable housing, folks. It's how do we create housing that is affordable for everyone. Let's stop calling it a bad name, and let's talk about the people who live in our communities, the per people who serve you coffee and do all of that every day. How do we house them? And that was very successful. And then, of course, the pandemic happened, and it kind of all stopped a little bit. So we're going to re-engage. Uh, Sage is going to re-engage. Echo is going to continue talking to the towns that do promote housing. And we have to talk on the state level. I know people at DOH. I know some of the state leaders are really proponents. But there's an active group that shall remain nameless today. But there is a very active group against everything I just talked about. Um, and their elected officials, um, state reps, um, as well as private citizens. And so the conversation just has to continue. 
opportunities like you're giving me today just to have the conversation again, maybe public service announcements on TV, my website, I'm trying to build that up. I'm trying to continue the conversation. The National um, Low-Income Housing Coalition, excellent group. I just came up from D.C. for a conference there. So it's to the conversation. It's going to take a long time. We've been fighting segregation for hundreds of years. I'm not going to be able to do it over the next 12 months. But I think if we start talking truth, it's not a Republican-Democrat thing, and it's not a right or wrong thing. It's truth. And the truth is we are discriminating with legal laws in this state and in this country, and it has to be talked about, and it has to end. So let's just continue talk, having the conversation. More opportunities like this, and I welcome to come back anytime, especially as we progress and I talk to my partners. Um, ECHO is determined to, to make a voice for the people who don't have one themselves. Julie, one question that comes to mind, and it's based off of something that you brought up a bit earlier in our conversation this morning on Face Connecticut. I'm talking with Julie Savin of Eastern Connecticut Housing Opportunities, ECHO, a nonprofit group that is trying to tackle the affordable housing issue and some other related issues. But you talked about hourly wages. You talked about jobs and whatnot. Is there a lack of better paying jobs in Eastern Connecticut than opposed to, say, Western Connecticut or elsewhere in the country? Um, well, it depends on what, you know, I mean, listen, everyone has heard about EB bringing in another 5,000 jobs. Um, what's the breakdown of that? If there's, if, if someone who's working $14, making $14 an hour, hour now without a skill, and, and I know EB is providing training for these positions, so there's that. That's an increase. Um, I know that the casinos continue to have housing fairs. So there are some opportunities for um, employment. Are they better? Are the the wages better? I mean, I know I know it's not a very popular conversation, but fourteen dollars an hour in the state of Connecticut's too low. When you when you consider the cost of gas, when you consider the cost of housing, when you consider the cost of food, fourteen dollars an hour is just not enough for minimum wage. And I know that's a real hot topic. Um, but the jobs, the jobs are out there. I've got colleagues saying we can't, we can't find enough people to fill the jobs. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when you talk about employment and you talk about housing, and I have these conversations with small towns who don't want them in their towns, but they also can't attract big business. You can't attract big business because this big, big business is smart. Why am I going to come to that town where my, my people don't have a place to work? I mean, live, right? So you're eliminating the opportunity for housing, but by doing so, you're eliminating the opportunity to bring big business in because they know if there's no place for my employees to work, I can't go there. I've got to go somewhere else. So it's, it's being short-sighted. Towns are being short-sighted by not increasing the housing stock and, and attracting people to come in, and then employment opportunities do present themselves. So it's kind of a really bad hamster wheel. Julie, we are unfortunately running out of time for the conversation, and I was hoping to bring up blight, but I think that we're down to the wire here and uh, not enough time to bring up that particular issue. Are there any final thoughts, anything that we didn't bring up on affordable housing or improving housing conditions in eastern Connecticut that you'd like to mention in our last two minutes? 
I just think that, um, you know, we all have a stake in solving this problem, all of us, black, white, affluent, poor. When families repeatedly fall behind on their rent and are forced to move, their children are going to be less likely to succeed in school. And high school class turnover disrupts learning and other children as well. The children and families that move too often are much less likely to grow up in areas with quality schools. Their opportunities that they need to escape poverty and climb like an economic ladder. People with chronic health conditions find it more difficult to access care when they cannot afford a stable home. And the, the stress of paying high rents, it can worsen their health. But the one thing that we know, Morgan, is that all of this instability, all of this chronic health and chronic insecurity is reversible. It's reversible. That's why we all have a stake in this. It's only for a better, a better community. I really appreciate your time this morning on Face Connecticut. Julie Savin of Eastern Connecticut Housing Opportunities. Again, thank you so much for coming on this morning, and we will have to do another update down the line. I'll have you back. Thank you very much. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 